Good afternoon. I'm here with uh, Linda Pennells, Kathy Cook, and Mena D'Souza at the QSO VSO 50th reunion on December 4th in, at UBC in Vancouver, BC. And uh, I'm so happy to have you all here and to meet you. And just for everyone listening out there, my name is Joey. And these three lovely ladies, they were they were friends. They've been friends since they met in Papua New Guinea. Is that true? That's yes, true. they're shaking their heads. And Okay, so let's just have a quick round of introductions. And tell me your names and where you all are from. I know I said your names, but just <laughs> let's do it again. I'm Anna D'Souza and I'm currently living in Abbotsford, British Columbia. I'm Kathy Cook and I'm currently living in Victoria. I'm Linda Pinnells and I'm also living in Victoria. Lovely. Well, thank you all for coming. I hope you've been enjoying your day so far. Yes, yes. the food was delicious. We had Ethiopian food for lunch, which was my first time, I have to tell you, and it was lovely. So, um, so tell me, you all were in Papua New Guinea and uh, so you all went from Vancouver? Is that you all? No. Okay. So let's hear the story of how this happened. Well, when I applied to QSO, I was living in Kingston, Ontario, and I was working as a, <coughs> excuse me, a lab technician, and I approached QSO because I was considering um, working as teaching English as a second language because I had had known some other friends who had done that maybe about five or six years earlier. But then I discovered that QSO had changed its its direction and was doing more of placing people uh, in more as in mid-career in a in a professional setting. So then we, <coughs> with the Kingston QSO office, we looked for possibilities where I could use my background in biology and science for a placement. And is that what you ended up doing when you went to Papua New Guinea? Well, I ended up, um, I, I had two placements there. I worked uh, first for, um, at the Anga Nutrition Project for about a year. And then, because I didn't feel like I was, I had a very defined role, um, I talked to the QSO officer in Port Moresby and she arranged for me to go work at the Lowlands Agriculture Experiment Station in Caravat, outside of Rabaul, on the island of East, uh, in East New Britain province. Okay, that's lovely. And and would you like to tell me a little bit about your time there too? I worked with the women's division of the national government in Papua New Guinea. Oh wow! Okay. And it was the time when they were just finalizing the national women's policy. So it was a privilege to go out into the country to meet with that grassroots women's groups and get their response to the policy and how it was taking shape. And uh, one of the interesting meetings in Medang, at, at the end, uh, a couple of women were saying, I think we should go now because there will be problems. And we got uh, having a little chat about just the permission to be there. And uh, finally, one of the women said, how many of you will be beaten or anticipate you may be beaten when you go home? And uh, more than 40% of the women in the room raised their hands. Um, so it was early days of, of women um, starting to have the agency, uh, fighting for the space to come out and uh, work with other women and, and to network outside the home. And it was still creating major problems um, 
you know, with uh, beating and, and control expectations within the family. So anyway, that's a bit of a meander, but um, so I was working with a woman's division and uh, primarily on launching uh, PNG's first publication of women's views, women's issues, for and by women, to try to pull women together. Um, communications were very weak, um, rugged, isolated um, environments, um, and uh, it was a privilege to, uh, to do it. And is, is that what your background was, communications and women's rights? And my background was, yes, my entry was communications, but um, I ended up with CUSO working um, on women's rights issues in uh, Papua New Guinea and then Indonesia. And that sort of launched me into the consulting I do now, which focuses on gender issues. It's its broader-based um, focus now, but that was the entry point. And so you would, uh, would you say that your experience that started in Papua New Guinea ended up shaping what you, what you did for, what, since you came back, mm -hmm. your career? Very much so. Very much so. Well, that's great. And you, Mina? Well, my story is quite different. Uh, I was based in Toronto, okay. working for Xerox Canada as a financial manager, so my background is finance. And um, I had known people who had worked with CUSO, and I had come from another country before coming to Canada, and I always wanted to do something. So it was the right time of the career. I was having a bit of a crisis, actually. I didn't think that the corporate world was for me. So uh, I, I thought that was the best time to do something completely different and think things through. So I was recruited out of the Toronto office and um, it was either a Sierra Leone to be a statistician of all things or uh, Papua New Guinea as an instructor in finance for the uh, public administration um, called the Administrative College of Papua New Guinea. And um, the process took about a year, and that's where I ended up going uh, from the summer of 88 to the summer of 90. And um, I was stationed in Rabaul, near where Kathy was. We were about a half hour apart. Um, there was a Canadian contingent of about eight to 10 people, uh, and we're still friends today. And um, um, I really enjoyed my time uh, doing instruction, uh, bank reconciliations, all, all the things that I'm familiar with. So it was doing what I was familiar with, but of course in a totally different environment, uh, which was really uh, life-changing for me. That's fantastic. And was, so you said there were about 10 people over there, the Canadian contingent, as you said, and are they all still in Canada today, do you still keep in touch uh, with the rest of them? Or? Good question, good question, because uh, we all still know each other today. Uh, some are still in international development. Lovely. Um, uh, one is in uh, Fiji right now, um, working in gender... Uh, oh, please feel free to send them a shout out. I'm yes. sure they might yeah. hear them. Hey, yeah. hey Deborah. Hello, Deb. <laughs> We're saying hi to you. Exactly, that's right. And then we have other friends who would have come this weekend, but they've gone off on a trip. They're real international travelers. They're retired now, but they were in PNG for the same three years that we were in Rabaul, and we're actually staying in their place while uh, while um, yeah. they're away. And um, they have uh, they uh, started out being a volunteer in the early '60s in India, and then they'd gone and had a. a 
you know, North American career and were looking for another experience and they went to Papua New Guinea at the same time we did and we've kept in touch with them. We have another friend who was a nurse instructor who's now um, living back in Bermuda where she, uh, a Canadian originally, but spent her adult life in uh, Bermuda and after she retired she went and taught at the nursing college outside of Rabaul. And then another there's a friend, friend that lives in Toronto, and uh, he doesn't live in BC, he's a teacher, uh, but he works with the Canadian uh, Correctional Service, which I do as well, so we know each other through work as well as through QSO. I think we should give the names. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yes, John Nugent, a big shout out, John, if you're, Hello, if John. you're hearing this, because you're not here, because you're probably changing diapers. Right. <laughs> and, and Deborah Clifton and her son, Sinjin, who went with her to P&G when mm -hmm. he was, what, three? So he uh, grew up there, and um, Bill Qualley and Diane Goldsmith were also participants who um, worked in Rabaul. She worked in, um, in uh, nutrition, education, and Bill was in community development. That's and, a wonderful. And Anne Sims. And Anne Sims, she was at the nursing college. And I've also kept in touch with uh, Kathy McDonald, who now is uh, teaching nursing, or maybe she, uh, well she was teaching nursing, she was, she taught um, in New Ireland province for two years at the nursing college, and then came back to BC and has done some nursing teaching, and I believe she's now working in public, uh, public health nursing up in Prince George. So uh, these, they're very, um, They're very important friendships that you make at this time in your life when you've you've taken yourself away from your own uh, support network and you meet other people overseas who have also done the same. And having that same shared experience of being in a place at a time that that is that's quite exciting but also quite personally challenging. Then to be able to share those friendships into when you get back into your life in Canada, it, it gives you a connection to that time when you were away. So that's why it's important to uh, keep up those friendships. Now, all of us had very rich lives outside of our CUSO contacts, but I worked on this agricultural research station, which was a different experience for a lot of the Papua New Guineans, too, because they were all from away. So they weren't there in their local village. Everybody, it was a mixture, and everybody spoke their own different languages. They were from many parts of the country, and uh, the lingua franca was New Guinea pidgin. But they, I had friendships with them, but they also expected me on the weekends to go into town and um, spend time with my own people, the, <laughs> the Montauks. So it was always a balance between trying to have relationships with the with the local people and maintain your relationships with the expat community that you knew. And uh, they seem to understand that and kind of steer you in that direction to make sure that you, you kept your own connections because they worked at that too. Okay. Because when they were away from their place, that they would seek out people that were from where they came from. Because being attached to the land and to your people is really the strength of their of their of their society. We've come away from that a bit in Canada because we're so mobile now. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the same attachment to place. So that was something that I really learned to understand in a much deeper way from living in Papua New Guinea. The attachment to the land, the importance of owning land, and what the land gave you in terms of your wealth, in terms of community, and your ability to support yourself.
And did you both also have a similar experience there or was it slightly different for you both? Or what was your main takeaway from your time there? Linda? <laughs> well, I came away with a husband, um, oh. a Brit, <laughs> okay. a Brit. Um, but I, I think I, I came away with a lot of, of personal growth because my Papua New Guinean friends did challenge me and, and tested me in many ways. They, um, they broadened my outlook in so many ways. Um, I, I brought with me um, an appreciation of the courage that it takes to be um, a woman in, in some cultures. And um, some of the women in the Papua New Guinean highlands for the first time were competing for, um, they were competing in the election for a national government. And one of the women in Simbu province, Margaret Sine, was very close and was anticipated that she would win the election. And this, you know, a lot of very courageous women in societies where that space is, has been male. And uh, right before the election, about four days before, um, two shots came through her kitchen window. Just missed her. Um, no, one was, no one was hurt. But she knew that it was not safe for her mm -hmm. um, to stay in Simbu, in the community, uh, for the last few days until after the election was over. And so she came down to, she had her sister hide her kids safely in one of the villages, and she came down to Morrisby quietly and hid in my home mm -hmm. until election day was over. But, um, you know, with the with the... With the the violence and the you know the cultural challenges um, of a woman, you know, just going into that power space, you know, I just it was it was just interesting to to just appreciate how much courage it does take, and yet in Canada we still don't have that many women picking up the gauntlet, and the space is a lot more uh, open. It's a lot freer. Um, than, than it is in some other cultures. Absolutely. There are still barriers, but um, yeah, so lots of insights. That's wonderful. And what about you, Nina? Well, I think all our experiences are so unique and part of, partly it's uh, related to the reason why you go. Like for me, it was about a career change and giving back some way to the community using the strengths and the experience that I had. Um, in Rabaul, it was really quite an international community, besides the Papua New Guineans. Uh, VSO was there at the time, of course, uh, the Japanese volunteer services, uh, uh, all kinds of groups in the UK. And um, so what I brought back was a lot of the friendships. Uh, I personally believe that I got so much more uh, than what I put in. And, and by that, I mean, I, I did do things that I'm proud of. I worked with the World Bank to um, uh, bring project development uh, training to uh, all the jail commanders, which was very interesting. And in my second year, I did a lot of community uh, uh, training at the community level, which meant that you know local ladies would come and bring our lunches, very authentic lunch. Uh, it meant uh, going into a boat, which I was deathly afraid of because I can't swim. 
and uh, to do research to develop a bookkeeping course to co-deliver it with uh, Papua New Guinea National and they were to have uh, um, carried on the training and we, we did the training in uh, Pigeon which was a real challenge for me so so he did more of the verbal and I did more of the material preparation so I really found the second year much more collaborative uh, but the enrichment from the experiences and from the friendships and that when I came back to Canada, interestingly enough, I did change my career, still in finance, but with the federal government, uh, because what I discovered is I was more service-oriented than profit-motivated and um, all that entails. So I've, I've been with government ever since and following my path and my passion. Absolutely. And, and it came from that changing experience. That's fabulous, and you know, you all just have so many interesting stories. I'm sure you have a lot more that I would love to hear, just in the interest of time. I would like to, before we sign off, maybe you all could share one particularly interesting or poignant memory that you have, or, or just something you'd like to share, and then uh, before we sign off, how about that? Go ahead, guys. <laughs> We've got a big pause here. It's hard yeah. to just pull something out of the head. Sorry about that. I there think were just I caught the so many. a little bit better. Um, one thing that, that did strike me, um, after we had been in Papua New Guinea for several months, there was a, a coup, or there was a provincial action in which they, a provincial premier was killed in the highlands. And... Um, and so there was a commemorative ceremony at the um, National Legislature in Port Moresby in honor of this, um, this respected leader. And uh, so a number of us decided, of course, to go. And uh, I had a, a friend visiting me from Canada. She'd just arrived, and this was like day three. So we hop into the back of the utility truck, you know, with um, a bunch of Engans uh, um, who were from the, the province where, where the, of the assassination. And we got there and found that it was um, a pretty feisty, pretty fiery, pretty emotive group of, um, of Highlanders, very, very distressed. And there were only about three women there, and there were only two white ones. And I had introduced my friend to this when she literally just got off a plane uh, two or three days earlier. I was comfortable because I knew that my Engen friends, um, you know, there was nothing to be concerned about. But um, often after you're in a culture for a while, you, you learn what is safe and what isn't safe and um, what trust and what networks and what protections are built in. But someone coming in new and fresh, I mean, my poor friend, who I will not name, <laughs> was terrified. And I, as someone who was in that culture for several months, should have realized the potential for this to be, um, uh, you know, an uncomfortable experience for her. So to, to people considering going over um, and volunteering, you know, just to recall when you do have visitors and, and people from outside to just try to get a gauge on how much acclimatization and and how much of a comfort zone and um, a, a context 
um, that you build up and um, try not to, um, you know, do what I did, you know, <laughs> lesson learned. Right. How about you both? It doesn't have to be a memory, it could be a piece of advice to future volunteers, <laughs> anything you'd like to share. Well, I'll just share a, a little story that um, after after I finished my time there, my sister and her husband came to visit and we toured around the country for five weeks after, after I was finished. And my um, brother-in-law said, I want to go see some virgin rainforest. And uh, now Papua New Guinea is, uh, is, a, is a country mostly of, uh, at, the, at that time anyway, of subsistence farming and people would go a certain distance from their village and they would clear the rainforest and they would crop it for a certain period of time and then leave it and move elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So in order to find virgin rainforest, because I took him literally what his request was, was you have to be able to walk somewhere at least two or three days from, um, from a village, which means you have to like hike into the deepest, darkest part of the... Uh, of the province, uh, of the country. So I had a friend who had moved to a very remote part of the uh, of the country, and he had told me about this hike you could do. So we decided to do that, and we flew in, and then we hired a bunch of guides to show us the way, and um, we went on this hike, and they told us it would take us six days, and I said, well, I was told it would only be four, so we negotiated this, and we were in the absolute middle of the of the rainforest where nobody went for, um, for, um, you know, for, for farming. And uh, we were with these, these four guides for virtually a week. And the, the most amazing thing was that they watched us as if we were, I don't know, specimens in a zoo. And we had all our camping gear and we would, um, we would pack up our stuff every day and they'd just watch us like hawks with all our stuff and one day my brother-in-law had misplaced some item, I can't even remember what it was. And he was quite distrustful of these guys because he didn't speak the language, he didn't speak Neo-Melanesian region. And I totally trusted these men because I had been able to talk with them and I'd been living there for three years and was fluent in the language. So at one point he'd lost this particular item that he and he thought it had been stolen or something. So one of the guides, Daniel, turned to me and said, He's, it's in the top left-hand pouch of his backpack. <laughs> oh so we goodness. all looked in there, and there was this lost item. And then we realized at that time, and throughout this whole trip, that, they, that these people have, have skills that we have lost in our own culture, skills of observation. I mean, they, they knew everything we did. They had figured us out and how we operated and what our stuff was. And uh, they guided us so carefully through this wilderness that was completely foreign to us. And as far as we were concerned, the whole time on this trip, there wasn't a trail. And we just followed them faithfully through the rainforest without even a, a, a track. And they, they just, who had did this trip very rarely every five or ten years, knew the way. So it was very um, humbling for us to recognize the skills that right. these people had that we as Westerners just had not developed. And at the end of our, of our week with these, we, these men, and there's many stories I can tell us about that experience, but we were really sad to see them go and they had, um, 
they had given us an experience of a lifetime, one that we talk about to this day. And uh, I feel very privileged to have had that experience with those men who were not educated, didn't read or write, but had so much knowledge. And it was an amazing trip. That's lovely. How about you, Thank well, you. Well, I'll, I'll try to be short. I, I'm thinking of the word you used, poignant. And while we all have many stories, uh, I should uh, uh, say first that Papua New Guinea is known as the land of the unexpected. Um, but what I found was a bit of the universal. Uh, I find that while there are these extraordinary experiences that we can't, you know, probably duplicate in, in later on in our life, uh, one of my high note experiences were um, we were visiting other Canadians, friends, and um, you know we didn't have food. Uh, there were many, many aspects to this story, but uh, in desperation we went to this um, clinic run by this um, uh, missionary who had been there many, 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 many years. She was a German uh, missionary, and her name was uh, Sister Maria, I believe. And uh, the face that I will never forget is she was showing us the place um, and uh, part of the tour took in this TV clinic and what I recall was the, the faces uh, with love and and uh, just in total awe of this very very extraordinary woman that had dedicated her life I mean we see movies and we read books this was a, a life person who had given her life to these people and their faces said they were loved and they were cared for. And um, there was a real sense of peace. And um, it was really, really lovely to be there uh, amidst all our difficulties and, and being strangers in the strange land ourselves. But to encounter this benevolence and this, uh, the, this, this love and caring was really, really meant a lot to me. Thank you all so much. And again, I was talking with Linda and Kathy and Nina, and they were sharing with me their experiences in Papua New Guinea. And thank you both. Uh, thank you all so much, and your service is so greatly appreciated. And as you probably know by now, we have uh, over 50,000 volunteers who served over 35 million hours, and that's. Uh, almost an hour for every Canadian. So thank you wow. all so much. Thank you, Joey. Thank you very thank much. You. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye-bye.